Hey, if you like me, love the Rust programming language, or you are just curious about how powerful this language actually is, let me tell you about RustConf on September 14. It's 100% online. There will be talks about language internals, the Rust compiler, programming optimization strategies, and to make it even more relevant to you, there will be talks about computer vision and other core machine learning algorithms in Rust. Register now on rustconf.com. You will find the link in the show notes of this episode. Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home podcast. I'm Francesco, podcasting from the regular office of uh, Amethyx Technologies. Training machine learning models is what we do, and uh, uh, we would always like to do these things as fast as possible with the maximum accuracy possible, of course, using the smallest amount of resources, uh, even though resources or computational resources today are relatively cheap, but still the data that we are dealing with today is extremely large and it's doomed to grow. We have said that, we all know that this is gonna happen. And so the ultimate goal of the data scientist and the data engineer or the AI practitioner or the AI researcher is in fact to train machine learning models uh, using data. Now, there is a misconception that, of course, um, you know, machine learning models require a lot of data, especially when it comes to neural networks. We all know that this, you know, fancy model require volume of data that are sometimes uh, very difficult to uh, to collect or very expensive or just impossible because you know we are not the big companies out there that have access to these loads and loads of data and uh, at their disposal and they can train and retrain models as, as many times as they want. So we mortals have to deal with uh, um, insufficient number of data, we, uh, with the limited number of data points and also with limited hardware. Uh, we don't have access, at least not all of us have access to a dozen and dozen of GPUs uh, to train and retrain our fancy neural networks. So there is a method that um, has been created by uh, Uber engineers. And uh, this, in fact, is a project from a paper published in uh, uh, 2019 that is about generative teaching networks. So it's a method that essentially allows you to train or allowed it, uh, Uber engineers to train neural networks with less data and also in uh, much less time. So much faster training processes that of course require less hardware or the same hardware in much less time. So if they are renting hardware at Amazon or Google Cloud, etc., uh, you know, the entire training process is going to cost a fraction of the uh, of the money that you're supposed to spend if you had to retrain that model uh, from scratch over and over again. So there is this idea, first of all, that you know all data points are born equal, which is clearly not true. It's a big misconception. There are, especially when you're in front of large data sets, there are data points that are more important than others uh, because they add more information, uh, they bring a better signal uh, for particular classes or for particular dimensions of the problem that you are tackling. While other, prob other data inputs do not really add much that the network probably already knows. And so not all data points are born equal. That's why there are methods like, you know, curriculum learning 
um, that allow you to, for example, retrain on uh, the, let's say, the difficult data points that the network could not train in the first place. Another problem is about network architectures, or well, neural network architectures. And um, we have seen many times that sometimes it's not really important what neural network architecture you're, you're uh, training on, but there are some cases in which, for example, adding a certain number of layers or a certain number of neurons uh, will definitely improve the accuracy, of course, keeping all the other variables constant, for example, the data volumes and also uh, the number of epochs. Um, and so, you know, there are cases in which tuning the neural network architecture actually helps. Now, based on these two concepts of, um, uh, and here there are, of course, methods like uh, NAS or neural architecture search, that is uh, a method to, uh, you know, um, discover uh, the best or the optimal neural network architecture for a particular problem. Now, with the combination of these two ideas, um, that is selecting the best examples from a training set and, of course, understanding how a neural network learns by, you know, tweaking and tuning the uh, neural network architecture is something that, you know, inspired eventually the uh, Uber engineers in order to create this other method that goes under the name of generative teaching networks. Now, before discussing the generative teaching networks in more detail, I would like to discuss a bit, or you know, in order to make this episode self-contained as possible, um, discuss what generative adversarial networks do. This is an, a topic that we have touched and discussed a number of times already in this show, but just to make this episode self-contained, I'm going to just summarize what GANs are. Hey, it might be beach weather outside, but for retailers, the holiday season has already begun. Did you know that 2021 holiday e-commerce sales are expected to exceed 2020 benchmarks? Are you prepared to capture every customer revenue opportunity? With Quantum Metric, you can be. Their unique approach to the digital customer experience helps today's top retailers and e-commerce brands quickly identify and prioritize the big and small revenue opportunities that keep customers engaged and coming back. Stay off the naughty list this holiday season by reducing customer friction, increasing conversions, and personalizing the shopping experience. Want a sneak peek? Visit their website at quantummetric.com slash podoffer and see if you qualify to receive their 12 days of insight offer with code DATASCIENCE. This offer gives you 12-day access to the platform coupled with a bespoke insight report that will help you identify where customers are struggling or engaging in your digital product. You will find the link in the show notes of this episode at datascienceatom.com. So GAN states for Generative Adversarial Neural Networks, and it's usually composed by a generator and a discriminator. So these are methods to create uh, generators that generate data that are realistic or as realistic as possible. To the generator, you usually feed noise at the beginning. And this generator starts generating data. Of course, at the beginning, it's going to be noise as well. And then you have a discriminator on the other side that tries to distinguish what is generated, so what is synthetic, and what is real. And at the beginning, you know, the discriminator is going to have a very easy task, a very easy job to 
to make this happen, to make this discrimination possible and probably 100% accurate. The problem is that the generator and the discriminator keep improving, which means that the generator keeps improving in the generation process, which means that it generates data that really, really resemble the original ones to the point that the discriminator starts to have a, let's say, hard time distinguishing what is real from what is synthetic. And so with this concept, that's why we say there are adversarial models, because they kind of fight with each other to improve uh, one over the other. One tries to generate data that is better, the other tries to discriminate in, with the same accuracy, if not better. And this mechanism, you know, this pair of models essentially moves towards generating or creating a generator that is almost perfect. Now, the main idea of um, generative teaching networks is in fact quite the opposite. And that's something that was really fascinating, uh, at least when I, when I read the paper. Um, because in a generative teaching network, we don't have this competition between these two models, like in the GANs approach, but we have cooperation. In the sense that there is no adversarial model to each other, but these models are all cooperating with each other. And I'm going to explain you how, because that's a pretty interesting approach. So we have a generator, like in the GANs approach, we feed noise, and the generator starts generating data that are, of course, synthetic data, right? At this point, we have another model that is the learner, it's called learner. And this model essentially is trained over synthetic data. Right? So we do a few stochastic gradient descent steps on the learner that is learning from synthetic data. Now, at the beginning, this learner, of course, is going to learn randomness <laughs> because the, the input data, the synthetic data in the first iteration is very likely to be noise. Right, But that's not a problem because what happens next is that the learner is um, evaluated on the real training data. And this time there is another loss function that is calculated on the real data. And this loss function now is uh, sent back to the generator where we also perform a, a few steps of gradient descent of the meta loss with respect to the generator. So what happens here is that we have a generator that makes synthetic data. We have a learner that trains on the synthetic data. And then we evaluate this learner on the real data. And if we continue doing that for a number of iterations, what's going to happen is that we will use the real data to tweak and tune the learner, but in fact, to tweak and tune the generator that in turn will tweak and tune the learner. So there is this cascade, cascading events um, that improves the overall training process. Now, of course, uh, Uber engineers have uh, tried this on um, uh, a very famous data set that is used for performance benchmarks, uh, like the MNIST is the, um, you know, the famous data set of uh, digits uh, in black and white. To be honest with you, I don't consider this data set, um, you know, 
super helpful anymore due to the fact that it's a very tiny data set with respect to the number of parameters that we are usually dealing with when we train uh, fancy neural network models against this data set. So I personally don't believe that we should keep using the, the MNIST data set for models that keep growing in number of parameters, but that's a different story. What we, uh, well, what they, the Uber engineers uh, measured out of this method is that with um, probably less than a third of the number of iterations uh, with respect to training from real data directly, they could have higher accuracy with one third of the iteration and a fraction of the uh, of the of the of the real of the data by using this you know generator plus learner approach. They could reach something like 98.9% accuracy in only 32 stochastic gradient descent steps, which means less than a second. Uh, so, you know, the training process is extremely fast, definitely faster than uh, the, you know, the training process you would have if you had a, a similar neural network trained on the, on the real data. Another important thing to, that I believe is worth mentioning is uh, that when we look at the synthetic data after the training process, usually with GANs, we had generated data that looked like the, the original ones. So you could see the, the digits um, that were you know, slightly different, but you could definitely understand that a nine was a nine, a seven was a seven, an eight was an eight, just with a tiny different shape, of course, because that was generated, but you could definitely understand what these images were. Now, in the case of uh, the synthetic data generated by this method, uh, the generator plus the learner method, or the so-called generative teaching network, well, the, there is a, a huge discrepancy between the synthetic data and the real data. Some images are definitely not, uh, you know, it's impossible to understand what it is. It's just a bunch of white pixels over a black uh, background. <laughs> in some other cases, of course, you can understand that a four is a four, a three is a three, etc. But in many, many other cases, that's not, uh, you know, the synthetic image is not recognizable. So this makes me think that uh, what the method is actually doing is, uh, you know, compressing somehow the, the original data into a lower dimensional space, pretty much what autoencoders do and have been doing for the last decade. Um, so this is yet another approach that allows you to have you know the same uh, idea and exactly the same mathematic behind is leading to probably very similar compressions and projections in lower dimensional space now of course i'm not undermining this method is a, a curious uh, method to try out and of course to try out on uh, probably bigger images larger data sets for sure and also different problems um, because generating data is something that, you know, generating synthetic data is something that we have been dealing for a long time now. And uh, there's no better model than, than others. It's just that it depends what type of data you're generating. And of course, how much time do you have at your disposal to generate such data? So the problems stay, the methods, this is yet another method that's worth trying out and play with.
I'm not sure that there is source code available. If there is, I will add to the show notes of this episode. And um, of course, I want to renew the invite on our official Discord channel. You will find the link in the show notes of this episode and of our website. The official website is at datascienceathome.com. I'll see you there. You've been listening to Data Science at Home podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.